Stratus Foods is the industry partner you can depend on when you're looking for the very best in fats and oils. Our team of expert researchers, developers, and innovators have helped countless businesses just like yours bring their most delicious menus to life. With products that are reliable, sustainable, and ready to meet any challenge, you can fry, bake, saute, and grill with confidence. Stratus Foods, we've got you covered. Repping Michigan as always, Alicia. I don't think I've, I, I've only taken the sweatshirt off to wash it since January 8th, since that day, January 8th, 2024. <laughs> Leanna's not happy, but, you know, I enjoy it's okay. no it's comment. Right. <laughs> oh, well. Well, um, so how are you guys doing? You know, it's it's finally February. We've been waiting for this day for That's right. what feels like 10 years. Um, so we're finally yeah. here. I'm feeling good. I am fresh off a trip to Arizona, uh, where it is not 30 degrees outside. (laughs) Just FYI, the weather wasn't as ideal as I think it could have been in January in Arizona, but it was not 30 degrees. So um, I'll take it. I was there for Technomics Winter Food Service Planning event, uh, Food Service Planning Program. And uh, it was a great couple of days. I learned a lot. I met a lot of our new colleagues. I met a lot of people. Um, this was an event for suppliers and manufacturers. So I met a lot of industry folks who I had never had the pleasure of meeting before. I mostly work with operators. Uh, so it was a great little uh, little break in the sunshine. And next week I'm off on vacation in Miami. So I'm, <laughs> nice. I'm doing real good right now, guys. <laughs> and you know, in case somebody out there, you know, is living in a dark corner, you know, we uh, purchased Winsight last year, which includes Technomic. So these are not only our new colleagues, but this is part of where we get our data from is Technomic now. And so that's where we got America's favorite chains that we talked about last week. Um, But we're also going to have a lot of other fun, exciting programs in partnership with Technomic throughout the rest of the year because they are our lovely colleagues now and we get to talk to them. But we're also going to be at the NRA show because that is now also ours. So please come and see us. This is our first call for NRA show. Get ready. <laughs> Restaurant show. It, 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 yeah, the, the show, the big, big show. show. It can't, it, it, you can't do it early enough. It's such a big, it's such a big show. Yeah. So, and, and we got our, you know, we got notifications to buy our, or to get our media passes already. So, okay. <laughs> we got to prepare. You mean we can't do it like I did last year and go in person without registering? You absolutely cannot do that again, Holly. <laughs> yeah, that was really stressful for all of us, for all involved. It was really stressful <laughs> for you and for Alicia, apparently. <laughs> I wasn't really stressed about it, but I did not enjoy approving the expense report. <laughs> yeah, I had to play the role of Hamler. <laughs> all right, so let's get into some news. Because while there weren't many big stories this week, um, we do have the impending onslaught of stories that are going to happen in the next month and the Feb- yeah the next month um so alicia we talked about this for an episode of first bite so if you guys want to hear more head over there um but you know we talked about sort of what you're expecting in q4 for some brands it's q1 starbucks it was q1 um so i mean like we were talking on first bite about sort of the consumer softening this year and how we expect this year to be tougher than last year. So, but we were also talking about casual dining and how some casual dining brands are expected like Darden to do great and others are expected to really fall. And so what do you kind of think we can expect from Q4? And then what do you think moving forward? 
Sure. I, I, let me, I'll say what I said on first bite first. We have earnings season well underway, but unlike last quarter Q3, um, these are like super spread out. And I feel a, the deep sense of relaxation because of that. Um, for some reason in Q3, we had 18 calls in two days. And I was yelling at every comms and investor relations person that I've talked to, say, stop, stop conspiring against the journalists and analysts who cover this industry. We don't have time to cover 18 calls in two days. But it turns out they don't get together and plan it. They don't. It just was. Uh, it's. It was just something that happened. But yeah, I. I think Q four is going to be. Um, you know, we've got two major uh, companies that have already reported. So, you know, and and you sort of alluded to this in the intro introduction, and, and the two major companies that have already reported are Brinker and Starbucks. You know, Brinker's uh, same store sales were up five percent year over year. Traffic was nearly flat. Um, you know, transactions uh, slowed down uh, mostly because the company's, you know, retrenched on its virtual brand business. Um, otherwise, traffic was, you know, uh, positive, uh, I think about 2%. Um, so, you know, that's that's a positive sign because it's a casual dining uh, brand. And casual has been one of those, you know, casual is the segment that I think is the the most interesting to watch as this, you know, this forecast of a softening consumer um, either plays out or doesn't. Because as the consumer is expected to to tighten their belts a little bit and they start doing all kinds of weird trade outs. And, you know, I don't think we are ready as a consumer to give up our indulgences as we, as we dissected very deeply with that technomic data. Steakhouses are are just Bruce Chris, you know, Texas Roadhouse, Longhorn. I mean, those have outpaced uh, industry trends, you know, materially. And we want our steak. We want our indulgences. You know, there's open table data that shows that consumers were going out to eat more for special occasions. I don't. I don't think that's going to ever really slow down, especially in this environment. Um, if we're feeling pressured, you know, as consumers, which most data points point to that, we're not acting like it um, as it as it pertains to sort of higher end, but we're doing so infrequently. So casual dining either gets a trade up to those special occasions, um, you know, maybe polished casual or fine dining. Or trade down to fast casual and, and, and quick service, which are, you know, more value driven by nature. Um, so the fact that Brinker reported the way they did, uh, you know, Chili's outpaced sales by 4% and traffic by 2%. I mean, this is, that seems like a decent, a decent sign. You know, a lot of that traffic, by the way, for Chili's was from, a, you know, a huge marketing push. Their, C, their CEO, Kevin Hockman, came from KFC. He's a marketing guy. Uh, he had tremendous success with the rotating celebrity colonel. Uh, so he knows how to get this this sort of traffic back in and sort of make the brand top of mind again. And it, it looks like that's exactly what's happening here, at least early days. Starbucks was, you know, they missed they missed estimates. Um, you know, they they had you know they talked about the conflict in the Middle East even impacting their U.S. sales. Um, you know, they had traffic declines, low single digits. I still don't think the bottom is falling out for Starbucks. And, you know, it's just such an insulated company because it has a, a loyalty following unlike any 
brand I can think of. And those customers are huge. It's a huge number of them. And they're, 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 you know, intensely loyal and they spend more and they come more. And, and that's a big deal. If we get to a recession, which are, that's still a, a prediction, you know, that's what you want. That is those loyalty customers because customers become less loyal um, when, when the economy sort of dips. Um, and, and they're doing a lot of cost-saving initiatives. I think they talked that those cost-saving initiatives could eventually, should eventually reach a billion dollars a year. Um, they're doing a lot of uh, cool things to streamline their operations. Um, so, you know, on a long-term play here, I think Starbucks is just fine. Um, I just think that we had a little bit of a pressured quarter here. Um, otherwise, and sorry, Leanne, I know you probably want to talk. What we're looking for is basically, you know, what we touched upon in, in first bite is where is the consumer? That's been the million-dollar question for several quarters now. Um, it's not really changed. I'm going to be looking at traffic. Um, I think everybody else probably will too, because we have taken way too, min- too much pricing and, uh, we can only sustain that for, for so long. Sales are sexy, um, but not at the expense of transactions and traffic. And so traffic, I think is going to be, um, you know, what I'm looking at most, um, you know, coming, uh, with the rest of these earnings, uh, throughout this month. Yeah, what I'm really interested in watching this quarter is how different brands are responding to various challenges. And I'm seeing a lot of trends um, among LSRs and trends among FSRs that are very different from each other. So full service, you were just talking about Chili's. They've got these TV ad campaigns that are going really well for them, which feels very retro. Like, oh, we're just advertising on TV now. Like we've come full circle um, as you know, society moves that way. Uh, but we've also got chains like Applebee's, like reading, leaning really heavily into innovative marketing right now. Um, I'm like, we're just seeing a lot of that with casual dining in general. And then with limited service, uh, you know, our colleague Joanna wrote a story yesterday. She wrote two stories yesterday about Starbucks because there was just so much news out of the Starbucks earnings call that one of them is just a roundup of various news and tidbits. And that made me think of Domino's, which has recently come out and said, well, we're just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. <laughs> um, you know, and Starbucks isn't explicitly saying that that's their strategy, but it feels kind of similar. In addition to all the cost-cutting strategies, they've said they're going to introduce three new drink platforms this year. We don't know what those are yet, Um but that's something that's on their mind is just completely expanding the menu. They've got two um, Valentine's Day specific uh, drinks coming out. And for the record, the chocolate covered strawberry frappuccino sounds absolutely like my jam. Just, you know, <laughs> for the record. <laughs> um, they've added Bank of America as an external partner. And I know, again, for me personally, when they added Delta as an external partner, I said, oh, that's cool. I can earn flights on my Starbucks drinks. Um, I don't bank with Bank of America, but I imagine there's probably a similar reaction right now from consumers who do. Um, so so we've got Domino's and Starbucks. I'm curious to see what other uh, limited service brands are going to talk about. And I don't think Domino's has reported yet, but they presented at ICR. So that's where I got that mm-hmm. information and in quote from. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm really, I'm intrigued to watch and see, because uh, I feel like Economically, we've been kind of in the same position for a year or so now. Like, we're not really seeing anything new about the economy or consumers in general. Um, 
but restaurant companies have had enough time to think about it and think about how to react to the economy. And so I'm curious to see what they come up with. One of the things Technomics said last week is that they think we're going to see a lot more innovation this year overall across the industry. Uh, and I think we're starting to see some of that. And I'm eager to see like what that's going to look like. I'm always yeah, hopeful I, for innovation because it's fun. Like totally. Innovation is so nice. Well, well, and we couldn't do it. Really, I mean, it, was, it could not be a priority in twenty mm-hmm. through everything that we went not through in twenty twenty. <laughs> and so, I think that return to normalization that we've all been waiting for is is really kind of coming to head. Um, one thing that you said, Leanne, really intrigues me uh, from that Starbucks call, and that is the expansion of the menu. And you know, that will be interesting to see how how it plays out because Starbucks probably their biggest pain point is on operations and you know they find the company finally agreed to uh, you know to allow for toggling of you know mobile orders because they have such a huge uh, mobile order uh, you know customer base if they're just and that menu doesn't just include new drink platform but also new snacks I don't know what that means but they're throwing more on the wall like you said but you you can't do that at the expense of operations and so yeah we're getting back as an industry to more innovation but one of the things that I thought was a benefit um, in hindsight from the pandemic is, you know, we, we were forced to become smarter operators and that meant be, having efficiency and more focused menus and more, you know, more streamlined operations because of those focused menus. Um, yeah, we have more tech that can help us, you know, maximize more efficiencies than we did in 2020. Um, so maybe that's what we're working through right now. But I think it's really important to, um, you know, to keep an eye on that. And, you know, McDonald's reports on on Monday. And I that that's going to be one of the things that I listen in on uh, closely because they just rolled out their new burger platform. Um, and, you know, it's a huge undertaking when you have almost 14,000 U.S. restaurants and you change your core product. And, and there are several tweaks to this product, including to the cooking process. And, you know, we, we get a franchisee survey. It's a small sample of franchisees, but it's telling nonetheless. And we received one from Kalinowski uh, Equity Research this week. And, it, you know, th- their, their opinion of this isn't great. You know, it, it, a lot of the a lot of the franchisees answered the survey and saying there's we need to we need to streamline operations. Um, so I think that's a really important thing to keep an eye on brand to brand to brand. Um, we can't get too carried away with innovation, even though we want to. There's like pent up demand, you know, for innovation. But I, I really want to hold on to some of the operational efficiencies that we we have done such a great job adopting to. Well, and that's kind of why the Starbucks thing is so interesting to me, because they've needed this operational efficiency for a long time, because the whole union movement at Starbucks came out of that lack of operational efficiency. They didn't have enough workers. And so this whole union movement started and it's installed, but you know, that was one of the reasons why people were boycotting stores because one of the, the head of the union, like the head group of the union posted on Twitter about supporting Palestine. And so people started to rebel against that. And then Starbucks posted a message. And so people started to rebel against that. And that was the, that was a boycott was that it was part of the union doing something. And so 
like these operational efficiencies while the union movement has slowed down have been necessary in Starbucks for a long time because anybody who orders a mobile order knows they have to wait for a long time. Things take a long time at Starbucks. And that's one of the reasons why people use mobile order is so they know when the time is. They know that's waiting for them. Um, and so I think that this new drink platform, three new drink platforms, Joanna and I were talking yesterday and we were saying that. This is a direct response to places like Dutch Bros that have these specialty drinks that are like protein-based coffees. Or Joanna was saying this could maybe include bobas in the future. Like that these, this is a direct response to those other chains that are growing, that are gaining market share. I mean, I'm curious to see how Dutch Bros reports. Um, that is something I'm very curious to watch because Starbucks is actively trying to fight against what Dutch Bros is doing as instilling their business. And so that's, and there's a lot less Dutch Bros than there are Starbucks. So as much as they may be stealing the business, they're not grabbing all of it. Um, but I think that it's interesting to see how Starbucks is moving towards customer responses and what customers want versus what their employees want, because I don't think their employees want more drinks. Like, I think I can almost guarantee that their employees don't want more drinks. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I'm interested to see what the next steps are for Starbucks, but I also like don't, I don't know. Everybody needs more operational efficiency. I don't think anybody is sure. operational. But the caveat here too is this is why Starbucks is investing a whole bunch of money into new equipment. Um is is to is to be able to deeply innovate while not tripping up the system anymore. Um it's way too early to understand that reconciliation. Um, but they're, you know, they're not just willy nilly over here. They're, they've got a, a plan. Their, their workers are resistant to a lot of, of this stuff, but there has to be, you know, a, some type of workaround with this, this, uh, equipment, um, the siren system that they're investing in it. Obviously there's a lot of confidence there, um, now, I know that they announced, Alicia brought this up, that they announced this partnership in October, but they spoke about this on the call for the first time, is this GoPuff partnership, um, which would make some restaurants, at least in the test markets, open 24-7. So that is something that, you know, Joanna and I were talking yesterday about the implications that could have for union workers who have already started to form this union. Would new Starbucks workers then join it because it's... Not only would it require more staff, but it's longer shifts. It's not a fun shift. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's something interesting that they're trying to grab this late night day part, which we know is a huge, huge part of business now. White Castle, Taco Bell, Jack in the Box, all grabbing that business and Starbucks wants to be a part of it. And I don't know who wants coffee at two in the morning, but... Um, Third shift workers. That's yeah, true. College their students. Pretty, uh, their food is pretty <laughs> good late night food, though. I feel like that's a... That's a home run for them. So that's kind of what I found intriguing that they brought up on the call and that they would kind of think that that'd be the next step. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I'm curious to learn more about it, specifically, like, which markets. They haven't said which markets, have they, like, that they're yeah. testing this in? I, I imagine. Colleges, yeah. Well, I, w- I was going to say big cities, but also probably college towns. I mean, the <clears throat> Starbucks locations by NYU, at least this was true like five or six years ago, we're already open until one in the morning. So it's not, and then opened again at five. Um, So I think in urban markets and in college towns, it might not be that much of a stretch. Um, I'm intrigued because there are also people who would prefer those shifts because like you're not dealing with customers in person. 
Like you're just making their drinks and sending them off for delivery. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, or, you know, extra hours that some employees might want to pick up. I am curious to see if they avoid doing this, at least at the beginning, in the regions that have a heavier union presence. Because the unions are pretty, like, localized in different regions. Um, so I am mostly like, even though they've been like talking about it in the background for a while, I'm, I still, I still don't have enough information about this partnership to have a informed opinion on it. (laughs) Yeah. And and I, I, I really uh, agree. I don't, I don't, I don't know if anyone does. And I, you know, I would caution about the whole concept of this being a next step because at the end of the day, Starbucks delivery, uh, mix is super low, um, I think it, I think they said it was only two percent on the call. It has grown. I think it grew like eighty percent year over year. But that is because the company expanded their partnership with DoorDash. You know, uh, not necessarily because of this this GoPuff partnership. Um, you know, which is interesting to me. I, I I do think it's a way maybe to inject the brand top of mind for those third shifts. Um, or late, you know, nocturnal, occasional consumers, it does provide convenience for delivery from five to five. Um, but I, again, I think it's important to know the full delivery story um, here. And, you know, GoPuff Go in general is just interesting to me. You know, obviously this thing with Starbucks is completely incremental, um, but it does seem like it's a lot of work for something that's so myopic, you know, it's training its baristas to prepare these drinks inside these micro fulfillment centers. I, I don't know. Um, I, I do think it's worth noting, as Joanna reported previously, that, you know, GoPuff had a relationship, a partnership with BurgerFi uh, back in 2022, and they expanded it, um, but then it fizzled out and BurgerFi wouldn't comment on the impetus behind why it fizzled out and you know go go puff in general i don't cover it deeply but it's just seemed to be such a a interesting business story obviously the throes of the pandemic the delivery heyday of the pandemic but it's iterated several times um since that that heyday you know it's it's come up with like a mobile kitchen and you know last year i think it reduced it's it reduced its workforce by like 10 percent last year you know, so the instant delivery space is just an it's a, it's an interesting conversation because the evolution continues. I'm surprised there's not more consolidation. There has been some, but I, it just seems to not have a lot of track traction somewhere. I, I don't understand where its footing is. So this partnership's really really interesting. Um, you know, I, GoPuff is also I think it's struggled to find a profit like most of these delivery companies. So I think it, like you mentioned, Holly, I think it could very well be a play for the that growing late night crowd. But even that is nominal when you look at the overall mix. Um, so it's going to be one of those those questions: is the ju- is the juice worth the squeeze? To me, now you know, Leanne, you brought up the casual dining segment and how chains like Applebee's and Chili's are really aiming to do more innovative marketing stuff, but. On the other hand, you have all the Darden concepts, which are crushing it, but are not doing anything innovative. They are sticking to what they know. There's no discounting. They are just working, churning away, and doing what they need to do. And so I I don't know how 
that plays out. I mean, I went to Texas Roadhouse, not protect. I went to Longhorn Steakhouse. I've never been to Texas Roadhouse. It's on my list. When I come visit you, Alicia, I will go to Texas yep. Roadhouse. Um, but I, um, I went to Longhorn Steakhouse and it was packed, absolutely packed. Like we had to wait for like 30 minutes. My grandmother really wanted to go there. So we waited, um, but <laughs> it's her favorite restaurant. So we had to go. Um, but she, it was, we were waiting. It was packed. like the seating was packed. The whole restaurant was packed. The bar, the number of takeouts they did was insane. I've never seen so much takeout in my life. <laughs> and so, I mean, they do not, they don't have commercials. They, I mean, Olive Garden does, but like they don't do a lot of, they don't do any innovative advertising. They just, if anything, it's traditional and they are doing so well. They were, five of them were on America's favorite chains. Like they're, they're just so universally popular. How do you think that's going to play out in their quarterly results? Yeah. Darden is an odd duck. Um, you know, Olive Garden in particular just like took off a few years ago and there's just been like no stopping it since. I mean, we just we had a whole conversation on this podcast recently about how it's like one of Gen Z's favorite chains. And we were all kind of like, Olive Garden? <laughs> Are you sure? Like, uh, is that we're, correct? We're salads, though. Um, salads. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because even Technomic pointed that out as an anomaly when they were t- giving one of their presentations last week. They were like, oh, and like casual dining, like, eh, except Olive Garden is just great. Um, and I can't explain it except that, like, I think somehow they have managed to get their brands to worm their way into America's hearts. Um It'll be, I'm interested to watch their earnings, especially because Ruth's Chris is still fairly new to their profile. Uh, So I'm curious to see if they can work a similar um, unexplained magic on Ruth's Chris in the coming years. Uh, Now, your comments about your grandmother really wanting to go there made me laugh because uh, last week I took my grandmother to not a Darden chain, but to Red Robin, another casual dining chain, which was also similarly packed. Um, and my grandma made a comment about how she hadn't been to Red Robin in so long, not since her birthday, which was one month before my visit. So something about (laughs) grandmothers, man, too, it's the Gen Z and the grandmothers have just chosen their favorite chains and like, that is it. Uh, so Mm -hmm. I, yeah, Darden in particular though, has really somehow, and like you said, I mean, Olive Garden has, you know, the unlimited pasta promotions and things like that, but I have no explanation for Longhorn Steakhouse these days. Um, and we, we don't really hear much about Cheddar's, but every time I drive by it in my parents' neighborhood, it seems to be hopping. So, yeah. Yeah. The Darden CEO, Rick Cardenas, spoke at ICR. Mm-hmm. And because of this, you know, an, sort of anomalous performance of late, I was really leading into everything he was saying. To, like, what's your secret? Um, and you can say anomalous, but at the end of the day, you know, you look at Longhorn Steakhouse and and you look at Texas Roadhouse, and both 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 of them are just, you know, outperforming consistently and forever and ever. Amen. I, you know, and um, it, it, you know, I think some of this is tied to what we dove into uh, with with our America's favorite chains. You know, Americans want steak. And if you can provide a, an affordable steak um, w- with a service, then I think you're going to really hit a significant 
sweet spot for the ethos that is Americana. <laughs> and I think Longhorn and Texas Roadhouse have proven that, like I said, over and over and over again. I think Texas Roadhouse has 11 years of traffic growth. Um, you know, but but one of the things that, that Rick Cardin has pointed out that I was really interested in is this adherence, this really um, uh, committed adherence to not discounting. Um, and to not leaning in too much to, to national marketing, uh, because it has that, you know, there's a reason you lean into national marketing because there tends to be value play, um, at work. And instead, you know, they make sure that their staffing levels are met or in some cases, many cases exceeded, um, his, uh, special sauce, his secret for Darden was, if we out-execute the casual dining concept next to us, we will win every time. And I don't, that seems just almost too simple on paper, <laughs> but who am I to not believe him? Look at the, look, you know, the proof is in, in the pudding here. And so avoiding staffing or uh, avoiding discounting while beefing up your st- staffing to make sure there is execution and customer service. I mean, that is value and, um, and, and it's, it seems to be working and I will see if it, it, it keeps working. I keep looking up. That's my calendar up there in case you guys are wondering. Um, but you know, it, it is a really interesting uh, story, Darden, and and I'm a believer. I, I'm a believer, and I think Leanne, you pointed out. I think this is going to be the first call where Ruth Chris integration is complete. Um, so they'll have you know on the finance on the boring finance side, they'll have those those synergies and efficiencies a, as well that I think will help yield um, you know some of those those sexier results over on the on the balance sheet. I think one brand I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, as the month goes on um, is KFC. You know, they haven't been performing super well, but they've had all these menu innovations over the past few months that I think we're going to see play out in some of these results. I mean, they've even started this year with that potato bowl, which looks so good. <laughs> the carb, so good. the carb bowl, the hangover bowl. <laughs> so good. But like they spent a lot of last year doing all of these new innovative things that they you know, Alicia, you talked to their marketing guy last year, their CMO, yeah. and you came back with all this information. They were doing all these tests and that played out throughout the rest of the year. And I think that that's a new thing for KFC to really dive into is this huge menu testing across everything. And um, I'm kind of curious to see how it how it does for them in terms of sales. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Yum Brands reports next week, Wednesday, and... KFC hasn't been performing poorly. They've been, you know, um, a slightly positive. Um, they have gained traction. The goal here with this menu innovation is to gain younger and more um, uh, diverse customers. So I did talk to the chief marketing officer. I think that was in October when I went to their headquarters. Um, you know, their KFC's traditional customer tends to be older and a little lower income. Um and so the the company has a big job to do to change or they don't want to change it. They don't want to let go of that core customer, but to uh, to gain, uh, you know, more top of mind awareness for those and for those younger and more diverse customers. And what he told me is they were doing just that when they with, they're focusing on these iterations of their sandwich, the wrap, 
Customers want wraps. Just ask the McDonald's social media person who has to deal with all these requests every day. Um, the nuggets, you know, they've got new uh, new tenders that they're testing, and of course the bowls. Um, it, it is a robust, uh, you know. Um, change that they've made on the menu. But the thing about KFC is they're in this category that's really super intensely competitive. Um, and McDonald's uh, is now, you know, one of their biggest competitors. McDonald's chicken sales are now uh, on par with their beef sales, which that is a, that is something that uh, the executive shared in December. And that, that kind of shocked me because this is a, this is a chain founded on burgers, five cent burgers. So, that, you know, K- KFC is going to find its footing with these menu innovations. I've tried them all; they're all good. Um, the the, prob- the 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 challenge that this company has is this, you know, intensely competitive backdrop. And don't discount the fast casual chicken. You know, that we want chicken. Consumers have proven they want chicken. But where do we get to the point where there's just too many choices? That's a that's a that's a puzzle the restaurant industry at large has to has to solve for that's it. not we a problem for us to restaurants. Solve. yeah yeah no we can solve that <laughs> well we've learned from the past like two years that gen z which is the audience that everybody wants likes boneless chicken and they like things they can hold mm-hmm. so wraps are it chicken nuggets chicken yeah. fingers like when i think of a gen z brand in the chicken category the first thing i think of is raising canes that's where my mind goes instantly they i think they are the perfect gen z brand um and I don't think they try. They're doing a great job. They're growing. They're they have Post Malone now. I mean, like they're cool. <laughs> Is Post Malone Gen Z? No, because I'm Gen X and I love. <laughs> you know, all the housewives pulling up. <laughs> I think you said just just enough that we're within the legal standards. Um. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe the benefit of, of raising canes is they did recruit Post Malone, who, uh, you know, appeals to all demographics. Well, how do you feel about Jack Harlow? I mean, I, he's I'm I live in Louisville. I love Jack Harlow. He's a hometown boy. And that was a KFC collaboration, so you know, yeah. got a little bit of everything where you where you are. Yeah. You're in the center of center of everything, Alicia. I am the center of the universe. So it's City. good that I'm in the, the center of the universe in Louisville. <laughs> That's it. The world revolves around Louisville. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of want that yep. potato bowl, though. And you're right. It is like perfect hangover food, which is like great college age, which is Gen Z. Like that's I could imagine a lot of Gen Z people ordering that at like 2 a.m. over Taco Bell, which is another young brand, but now a competitor in the late night space. But Well, if we're talking about earnings, I want to I kind of want to get Leanne's opinion on this, because I think what I, we talked about this on First Bite is. I think another interesting narrative from earnings will be how the big pizza players um, do because, you know, we're talking about the softening consumer and pizza always tends to do well against that uh, that sort of backdrop. But all three major pizza players are going through some – they're going through some stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean um, – Domino's just started adding all of its delivery aggregates. It might be too early to understand – what that's doing. Papa John's has started adding some pretty aggressive franchisee incentives. Might be too early to tell how that's doing. You know, Pizza Hut um, laid off all of its in-house, well, one franchisee laid off its in-house delivery drivers in, in California ahead of AB 1228, which is also something we'll pay deep attention to on this round because it's the last 
round of calls before that goes into effect. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because Pizza Hut struggled with de- delivery fulfillment because of labor sh- shortages. So I, I don't know, Leanne, if you have a, an opinion about how pizza is going to play out this quarter. Yeah, it's hard to say for this quarter because all those things you just said are like going into a f- into effect this quarter, like as we speak. So I really think it could be like another couple rounds before we see changes there, if any are coming. But I also think it's just like the consumer mindset over the last few years has shifted to smaller pizza chains and independent pizza restaurants. Um, That was a big shift during the pandemic for whatever reason. And I think consumers have just like stuck with it. I know for me personally, I can think of at least three pizza places that are closer to me than the closest Papa John's or Domino's, which are not far from me. You know, like I'm in New York, they're everywhere. Um, So I don't know, I'm rooting for the big pizza companies to find their footing and get back on track. But the narrative to me still feels the same as it's been for the last year or two. Um, But it's another thing where you're right, they're all they're all making changes right now. Uh, so hopefully we'll see a bit of a rebound among them uh, later this year, but I don't think we'll see those changes just yet. When you say get back on track, do you, because what's interesting to me is you have to look at comps, right? Right. I don't know if pizza players will ever match. Well, I don't think they'll match, like, but, but I don't know. Well, and I guess, you know, I haven't looked at the exact numbers, but I don't even know if they're back to like 2019 comps at this point. You know what I mean? Um, so, and I think that, I mean, that is something that anyone in the restaurant industry would take at this point. And I think a lot of chains have gotten back mm-hmm. there, even considering inflation and everything. Um, but the pizza, the big pizza guys, for whatever reason, um, mm-hmm. have not quite gotten their footing back. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, the 2020, 21 numbers are... Well, man, I don't. I, I don't want to eat pizza. I don't want to eat pizza ever again because of 2020. That, that was going to be what I said. I think it's maybe it may be controversial to say, but I think that chicken has replaced pizza in terms of consumers' hearts and stomach share. I don't. I like the pizza players haven't been doing well for a while, as as demonstrated by their delivery. And we don't have our pizza expert Joanna Fantosi on today, but uh, if I had to channel her, um, I think I would say that the pizza players. Pizza Hut didn't even do that well during the pandemic. They did well, but they didn't do as well as the others. And they've been seeing declines or flat sales for several quarters. Um, and Papa John well, did I, well. Go ahead. I, I, that, I, to me, that could be less of pizza fatigue and more of pizza used to have a significant advantage in being a top of mind delivery convenience um, option. I have a small child. There are days I don't want to leave the house because it's really, he's stressing me out. I have to feed him though. And so pizza it is. And now pizza, it's not just, I mean, these, the, the, the advent of the delivery, third party delivery has really leveled the playing field of options for everybody. And I think that's been to the detriment of pizza. Cause now I just go and look, I'm like, okay, we don't have to have pizza tonight. We can have, you know, Panera or, McDonald, whatever, whatever he wants. And, you know, I, I think that has more to do with it than anything, but I don't know. Is he done eating at Mr. Beast's uh, virtual brand? He's, 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 I've stopped talking about Mr. Beast's virtual brand because I was done spending money <laughs> on Mr. Beast's 
burgers, <laughs> which I didn't have a great experience with. Fair enough. I just want to add, so I'm bouncing off of what Alicia said. It'll be interesting to see how Generation Alpha's tastes evolve and where they end up spending their money on the way we talk about Gen Z right now. Because to Alicia's point, when I was a kid, if you wanted delivery, it was pizza. Um, you called up your local Papa John's and they brought you a pizza. And that was really the only option, at least in the suburbs of Ohio. Um, but now kids and their families can get anything delivered to their door, as can I, which is great. But, um, you know, these kids are growing up, I think, with like wider palates in terms of what they can eat yeah. in their own home. And, you know, one last comment on the technomic thing last week, there was a whole presentation on genera Generation Alpha and uh, I know, Alicia, you commented on this when I brought it up, but 74% of parents with Generation Alpha kids uh, say that their kids have a heavy influence in where the family goes out to dinner. 15% of those say that their kids just decide and they go wherever the kid wants with no negotiation. And um, in the words of one of the presenters, the other 26% are probably just kidding themselves. Um, so <laughs> you've got to, you know, you got to think about, like, what do you think that seven-year-old wants? Um, how do we market to them and get them in the door? Because in, I think they said 13 years, that group will have the most spending power. So it's time to start. You can't, you can't control, you can't control. <laughs> well, that's what you think, but yeah, I they think are not the, the TikTok ads seem to be working. I don't know. They had this whole presentation about how, like, um, for, like, Wingstop, you can, like, order Wingstop without leaving the TikTok app. I, it's no, beyond I me, but I don't know, Alicia, have you tried communicating with your son via TikTok? Because that seems to be where they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 he's got his own little private channel and he, and my, and my wife and I are his only followers because we have to be aware of creeps. Of course. He, he wants to be an influencer when he grows up, like most, most of the kids, most of the kids these days. Um, so we let him tinker around with the app and, you know, we have noticed some ads coming through and yeah. savvy. Yeah. Hey, you know, I, I don't, the, the sophistication that you mentioned is intriguing to me. His go-to meal is pesto tortellini. I didn't know what pesto was when I was his age, <laughs> or tortellini. you know, and <laughs> or tortellini fair. But he also is a he also grew up in the pandemic, you know, he was five and had to shift to at home learning. And so he doesn't like to leave the house. Um, but we also try and teach him how to be a good financial steward. So delivery is not an option, but once a week at most, because um, we have to teach him it's a premium, you know, so he's good about home cooking. And, and you know, that that's fine. He's also in four sports. So convenience comes into play. That's why he loves McDonald's. He was a big grimace shake person. I know all these factors are really interesting. How is that pandemic going to impact this? This generation was impacted the most. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't know. But he, I can tell you one trend that he is particularly interested in. If we're talking about Gen Alpha and where to be, he loves, we just had a seven uh, brew open up. He wants to go to Starbucks all the time. He loves his boba tea. He like he's a beverage guy, <laughs> probably because he sees mommy drinking. Yeah. <laughs> There's something different in your cup, though. Perfect. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't boba tea, son. <laughs> well, so you know, Leanne, you brought up the Wingstop TikTok. Wendy's just announced they're investing heavily in TikTok mm -hmm. after they were one of the first brands. You know, God, I don't know how many years ago at this point, probably before the pandemic, that wanted to get 
kids in video games to order Wendy's through the video game. So Wendy's mm -hmm. is always trying to grab these customers who are younger, who are in something else, in TikTok, in a video game, who are doing something else and then make them think of Wendy's and make them think, yeah, let me get Wendy's. I could do it through an app. I could do it through a game. There's no, I could probably do it secretly without my parents knowing kind of thing. Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of elements that I think are interesting. Wendy's is always ahead of the curve on those. They do a lot of really interesting technological and marketing things, but um, I don't know. I don't ever buy anything on TikTok, like nothing. Um, so it's not, not working on me, but I do <clears> like <throat> wings stuff and I could go for some wings right now. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Same there same. is a wing stop by my grandmother, and I told her she should go there. Well, she should order from there for delivery. So I'm trying to get get new wing stop customers in here. You're welcome, wing stop, because <laughs> like, that's that's Holly's job. <laughs> that is my job. All right. Um, thank you guys for joining me, and I'm going to turn it over to my interview with Derek Hayes, the founder and CEO of Big Dave's Cheesesteaks. Um, they're a Philly-based brand, but they're in Atlanta now. He's a Philly guy. Um, he. Uh, he lives not far. He lived not far from where my grandmother lives. So we're big Philly fans over here. And side note, I didn't know this when I spoke with him. Derek Hayes is married to Pinky Cole. So they're a powerhouse couple. It's a power couple. You'll hear yeah. from Derek Hayes. He is inspirational. He is smart. He's really opening a very innovative business. And I mean, I can't imagine him and Pinky Cole doing anything but ruling the world. So uh, listen yep. to this interview. But I'm going to thank you guys for joining. Stratus Foods is the industry partner you can depend on when you're looking for the very best in fats and oils. Our team of expert researchers, developers, and innovators have helped countless businesses just like yours bring their most delicious menus to life. With products that are reliable, sustainable, and ready to meet any challenge, you can fry, bake, saute, and grill with confidence. Stratus Foods, we've got you covered. Yeah, thanks for having me. Holly. So Derek Hayes, welcome to the podcast. I would love to hear about the brand and sort of how it came about. Uh, yes, how you doing? Thank you for having me. Um, the brand came about, it first started as a dream because uh, when I lost my father in 2009, um, it was like, you know, me restarting my life over. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, fast forward to 2014, my first business days, Philly Water Ice. I'm selling Italian ice. Nobody knows what it is. So I'm not getting any traffic, but I'm not giving up because I know I still have a dream and I know that I want to be something to somebody, but I don't know what I want to do. So my mother, she said, uh, I should add cheesesteaks to the um, to the menu. And, you know, I was in a rough spot even building my brand because my grandfather, he was fighting uh, for his life. And I wound up taking my mother mother's advice, you know, and going with the cheesesteaks. Uh, I changed the name into a new business, um, which I call it now. Big Dave Cheesesteaks is now world-known of me just putting in, you know, my hard work, me starting this little shell gas station with a, a little three-foot grill and a, and a one single fryer and, and, you know, making my dream happen. I tell people all the time, you know, like, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's not what you get delivered first, it's how you polish your tool up to be in the end, and that's what I did with Big Dave's. Now, is Dave your father's name? Yes. Wonderful memory to have of him. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it is. It, it helped me get through every day. <laughs> You need that inspiration as a business owner, especially nah, you, do. you need it's, something it's, to look forward to. Yeah, you do. Because, you know, some people don't understand, like, when you look at the, the greatest people in the world that people aspire to be like, those people had a mission. Nobody was stopping their mission. Um, what they have for, forefront in front of them for their dreams, they made sure that 
they conquered it and the way they did it is whatever was important to them. And, you know, me honoring my father is important to me. So I'm never going to quit this thing until I get to the point where I think that I wanted to get to, you know, successfully and, and leaving my family a legacy and making my father proud. So until all those duties are done, I'm still chasing. Chasing the dream, which is what chasing we're all doing. <laughs> so I have to ask, are you from West Philly? I'm from West Philly, born and raised. Nice, yep. nice. Yep. Good. So they're authentic because you guys are in Atlanta. Oh, no, they, so. they're authentic. So um, my family's history is uh, my grandmother, my grandfather, you know, they, they come from the South. My grandfather uh, came to Philadelphia at a, at a young age. He was probably about 13 or 14 years old. You know, back in those days, you had to be a man fast. So you're talking about a a young teenage kid going to a big city like Philadelphia to start his life over to bring his family there. You know, those are the type of principles that I look at even before I was here and I hear those stories to who I am right now. Um, so me coming from that city, it's gave me so many different elements of structure and then having the South into my grandparents and, and, and they embedded that into, you know, my family and we from up North, you know, the new generation. So it's like I got the best of both worlds and I'm able to conquer both because you could take uh, kind of the manners when it comes to children in the South is a little different than it is up North. So I had a different upbringing. So I was I was able to learn how to, you know, be neutral and be respectful. So um, I think, you know, me coming from Philly is the best part because of the grind and never give up. But the other part of side of it is my grandparents coming from the South, giving me uh you know, being respectful and, and manners and uh, those type of things. It sounds like you had a really great foundation from your family to build on that allowed you to feel like you could achieve your dreams and that you could open a restaurant. Yeah, I mean, you know, so my family had a good foundation, but the men in my family was tough. You know, my <laughs> mother, I mean, my, my father, you know, even like being with my mother, like I always would see the, the man side of a household. I will always see my father go out and go get the money, um, even though my mother had a job also. But my dad created that certain level of uh, power in the house to make sure that he was controlling everything the right way for his family. I see my grandfather do the same thing. I see my uncle do the same thing. So, like, I was around men that uh, pretty much went out and, and took care of their family and did what they needed to do. And, you know, I could look at all those principles and, and be proud of that because that's how I was raised. But I had some very tough men in my life. I could never, uh, you know, my grandfather, I always tell people I, I can never make him happy. You know, he would always be hard on me. And that's how I started learning how to cook, because on Sundays when he went to church, if I didn't finish his Sunday dinner, I would have to cook it, you know, finish it off. So I never could get that like oh, man, this is good. You know, you did a good job today. And sometimes, you know, I used to sit in myself and be like, you know, I'm never going to make this man happy. But before he died, I made him happy. And, and that was a good moment. But the thing is, is that he was gearing me up to be strong in this world that a lot of people, you know, will eat you alive. And, and I know how to, you know, carry myself and with the wolves. So I leave it at that. <laughs> well, the restaurant industry is tough the restaurant industry is the wolves it's definitely the wolves you gotta know what you're doing (laughs) yeah so you were really prepared for it did you like cooking or was it more of just a necessity at that point um 
it was a part of life. I didn't even realize I enjoyed it or I didn't enjoy it. It was just something I'm like, I knew how to do. But later on in life, so when people, so I had a family reunion uh, when I was probably, I would say 16 years old. I helped my grandfather uh, cook for over 300 people. Um, so I already had like cooking experience to do like mass quantities of food. So I was already knowing how to do that. But when I became an adult, I realized that cooking was my my real gift because I would make people happy. Like when you can make somebody happy off of food when they're in a bad mood, you got a gift. And when you got a gift like that, you got to use it. Um, and I felt like it would be selfish if I didn't spread out what I thought was a talent, you know, to the world. And look, look where it's at now, you know, almost 10 years now. And I started this little gas station and... I didn't been on pretty much every outlet it is in the world. You know, I was able to rank top 10 in the world in sandwiches. I was able to do all of these things off of just not giving up on my dream. And I want anybody that watched this podcast to really just tune into that part of it, like lock into your mission, into your dream, into what you want to be. And don't give up on that. Like clap for yourself, grow your own flowers. Because when you do it that way, it feels better when everybody else do it afterwards because you know you you deserved it. You worked hard for it. And that's what I'm doing. Now, you know, you talked about starting this restaurant in a gas station with a little grill, which I feel is a very Philly thing. My family's from yeah. South Philly, so I, I'm very familiar with that idea. Yeah. But I think a lot of people around the country haven't really experienced that kind of business. Can you talk about how that kind of started? Well, see, I knew when I came to uh, to Atlanta to do this concept, when I decided to do it, it would have to um, look authentic. It would have to replicate what I grew up off of. So I wanted that open kitchen. I wanted when you walked in a restaurant, you seen seen uh, the guys chopping the steak, you smell the onions, the bread is out, like all of these things. Like I don't want my kitchen to be hidden. You know, a lot of people like to hide their kitchens because when it's high traffic, you know, and stuff everywhere. But I train my team to do line sweeps. So like we keep everything organized and clean, but I want you to see the process of what it looks like making a cheesesteak because that's how I grew up off of it. No cheesesteak place in Philadelphia right now hides their kitchen. So, <laughs> so true. when I look at a concept and they hide the kitchen and it's a cheesesteak restaurant, I know it's not authentic because they don't even know an authentic setup. They don't know what it's like to actually know how to draw the traffic in with they eye to say, okay, this is a real cheesesteak out of Philadelphia because this is what I'm used to seeing. Like in my um my downtown location, my flagship location, I got a big window and I got all grill across that window. So when you walk down the pavement, you can see guys cooking steak. Now, let me tell you, I can rewind that back. When I was a kid, I was going to Larry's Cheese Sticks on City Line Avenue. Yep. Larry's Cheese Steak had a window where they cooking steaks. Like So a lot of stuff that from my city that I looked at that inspired me to do my own brand I, you know, it came from my city, but I was able to put pieces together and make it mine to make it special, to make it different. And I'm happy to say I'm the only, you know, brand that ever made it outside the tri-state and made it authentic and getting the respect out of the Philadelphians. Yeah, I was so excited to talk to you because I saw that you had the open kitchen and I saw it's just so authentic. It's just like, it's yeah, I want you to like feel like home. South Street. Yeah, I want you to feel like you're home. Like when you go into any Big Dave cheesesteaks, I want you to feel like you never left Philly. That was always my goal. And if it didn't feel like that, I was failing. Never, it, it never uh, meant that I was having these big sales and big lines. I wanted the reviews to say, man, I felt like I was in Philly when I was there. <laughs> because then 
I knew that my dream was going to work because that was my goal. And, you know, seeing those reviews like that now, when I'm looking at people saying, I caught a flight from Philly to come get a cheesesteak. Like, <laughs> I knew I had something special. And I'm like, wait, if you left home to come get a cheesesteak in the South, like, that got to be got to be special. <laughs> now, I have <laughs> to ask, cheese whiz or no cheese whiz? Well, so with Big Dave's, I gave you an option mm-hmm. to pick your preference. But I'm not a cheese whiz guy. <laughs> I come from West Philly. We we more uh, American cheese, salt, pepper, ketchup, fried onions. Um, a little bit of I mayo. Too, so I get it. <laughs> yeah. So like, but that's the thing because I'm a real Philadelphian. I know different parts of the city how they eat cheese sticks. So South Philly gonna be wizard without. You know what I'm saying? You might go to uh, West Philly. You might get American provolone, or you might you might you know different parts of the city. Everything is different. But I know the cultures because I'm born and raised there. I know what people want. So when I built Big Dave's. I said, listen, I'm going to give you all three cheeses. You get to pick what you want, but I'm going to have one sandwich that's going to be called the Dave's Way. That's my father's sandwich. It got all three cheeses. It got American provolone and whiz, onions, peppers, and mushrooms. And that's my number one selling sandwich. And I got people eating that cheesesteak that don't even like vegetables (laughs) because it's so good. I mean, like the marination of my seasoning is why the sandwich is the way it is. And to, to piggyback to the other side of it, I use Amoroso rose. It's a mm. marriage. So the rose and the the rose and the meat and and, and uh, the seasoning that I use is all authentic from my hometown. How did you come up with the recipes? So let me tell you. It's funny you ask. Um, so I took I took I took bits and pieces of seasoning out of my family's recipes that I love the most, and I mixed it together, and I came mm. up with a magic. And when I tell people that seasoning is love, that's really from my family. That really came from bits and pieces of my family on dishes that I loved. And I put them all together. It's 13 spices of the best seasoning you ever going to taste. It's almost like KFC, but you have your own uh, secret sauce. Yeah, that's why I just got called the Colonel Sanders of cheesesteaks from Forbes. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that. It's like I could predict what they were going to say. I mean, 13 spices is really impressive and that must yeah. be super super flavorful oh it is uh a lot of people think that we marinate the steak overnight but when that seasoning grabbed the steak it just make love to it so it was a gift to me i call it a gift from god because i had nothing left in my life my bank accounts was gone life was gone but that seasoning saved my life that seasoning that love that i made with that seasoning and now it's it's, it's shown a love to the world um, and I can't wait to get it in the retail stores around the United States so that people can enjoy it when they're cooking at home with their families because that season they have a real powerful story behind it. Well, and so do you get a lot of people who are transplants from Philly to Atlanta? Yes. I mean, right now, uh, I don't know exact number on percentage wise, but if I had to guess, I would say maybe 10 to 15 percent of my wow. my uh, traffic um, comes from up, up north, if not heavier. That's impressive. And it's nice to bring like a piece of home to people who may be missing it. I mean, think about it. If you was born and raised in Chicago and all you ate was deep dish pizza, and then you go up north and all they making is uh, thin crust and regular <laughs> pizzas, you're going to say it's not an authentic pizza. This is not what I'm used to. This is not what we eat. Um, so for me, when I see cheesesteak restaurants, they call them Phillies or let me get a Philly or Philly cheesesteak or I see how they prepare it. I'm like, it's not your fault that you're selling people false hope 
or what you think it is because you're delivering what you think a cheesesteak is. But I came to the South to show you what it really is. Um, and that's why Big Dave's is so successful right now because people can believe something being so authentic uh, 10 hours, 11 hours away from the hometown. Well, and I think what makes you guys so special is that it's your specialty to do cheesesteaks. And yeah. often a lot of places that have them on the menu, it's just on the menu. It's not what they yeah. specialize and, in. Yeah. yeah, this is, well, That's you hit it right, right on the nose. That's the thing. Like the cheesesteaks is our hard driver. Like the, the egg rolls is the slam dunk. Um, our wings, we, uh, we just actually, uh, remove wings, but like we had actually decent wings also. It just was a good combination, but the direction that we're going in, we want people to be driven on cheesesteaks, cheesesteak egg rolls. Um, you can get a Philly fry, which is a cheesesteak over a bed of, a bed of fries. If you don't want to do any bread today, (laughs) we even got a cheesesteak salad. If you want to go on the healthier side, um, and we got salmon, beef, and chicken egg rolls, and all of these different um, elements and on a menu all sets off whatever taste buds that you your taste buds are feeling like that day. And our sauces that our different sauces are amazing. Um, I wanted it always to be flavorful, people to really you know enjoy it. I want you to smile. I want you to have the worst day in the world and come into Big Dave's and say, "I feel like I just talked to like." the best person in the world that took took insight on my life. You know, like, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel like if you didn't have a mother or a father or you miss your brother and your sister, when you walk into a Big Dave's, you get that family feeling. And that was all about. How do you create that? Because it's a hard thing to do in a restaurant where things are transactional. Um, See, it's a difference. We don't treat, we don't teach transaction in Big Dave's. We teach respect. Um, when you get hired in Big Dave's, the number one thing is we respect others the way we want to be respected. Um, and the other thing is you have to put your employees in positions to win. Um, no, you're not going to save every employee, but we have a program called the Blue Apron Program. Um, our employees, when they get to be able to work on all the stations, and it's like a graduation. They get to, they get to graduate to a new level. Um, they're able to say that they are a Blue Apron um, and it's like being a golfer when they get that jacket. It's like, yeah, I got my jacket or that high school kid when he get his letterman jacket, when he walking down the hall. Like we make our employees feel good about working in the company and just not punching the clock. Yeah, make these cheesesteaks for the next eight hours. I need them done. No, it's also like, let's come collectively and build this brand and really, really show people what it's like to show what it is to have a good concept that people love coming to work. Um, of course, you're going to have people to have their days where they having a bad moment themselves. But how can you keep continue to have a bad moment if your coworker is trying to make it good for you? And that's what we try to uh, preach in Big Dave's. Is part of that from the Southern hospitality we're raised with that you have this mindset? Um, yes. And, and another thing is I respect my father, man. Like I respect my father to a level of like. It would if it would be a number, it would be infinity, you know, the respect I have for him. So I didn't want to put my father's name on anything that didn't get respected the right way. I wanted this business, even when I was in my little gas station, I, I wanted to be looked upon as a national tenant when I just had one store. I wanted the world to say, like, this was the best experience. This guy got it together. I wanted that because I didn't want to disrespect my father. And now it's, it's even bigger than me and my father. I, w- I don't want to disrespect the human race of non-believers anymore. 
I want people to see that if you believe, you will achieve. And they're going to see that through me. And that's bigger than anything. How did you move from the gas station to a brick and mortar to not having multiple (laughs) locations? Hard work. Um, (laughs) A lot of hard work. A lot of cries. A lot of praying to God. A lot of not giving up. Um, I was blessed that I started having so much traffic in that Shell gas station that I couldn't, you know, abstain it no more. You know, I had people parking on gas pumps. Um, I couldn't handle the traffic just having that one grill and that one fryer. So, you know, I made a decision. I got approved for a lease um, in my flag location now, and it's downtown Atlanta, 57 Forsyth Street. That's across from Georgia State. I knew when I got in that location that Big Dave's now will grow wings because it wasn't far from the airport. It was in the middle of the city. Everybody could enjoy it in the metro Atlanta and outside of the metro Atlanta because it was in the middle. And boy, did I pick a good spot and was I right. (laughs) And that spot became a national known and recognized location all the way around the world. How does that feel? Um... You to tell you the truth, to be total transparent, um, some days I gotta sit and be like, I really did it. Like I really have these good things going on. I understand that I can't take my foot off the gas, though. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people get comfortable with success. I'm not where I'm at right now. I'm not where I want to be right now. So that's always going to keep me chasing where I want to go. Um, and when you get stagnant, um, that hurts you because you now see no growth. You're happy with all of your accomplishments. It's not, it's, it's okay to, you know, to, to take it all in and say, I did it. I made it. This is where I wanted to go. But where you know where you was really trying to go, the tear that you really want to get to, um, you just stay on chase mode. And that's where I'm at. But I thank God every day because I remember days I couldn't feed myself. I remember moments where um, I'm going house to house, you know, trying to figure things out in life when I became an adult. But now... I'm I'm uh, providing households for other people. I'm giving jobs to people. I'm giving them uh, life insurance benefits. I'm giving them medical. I'm giving them retirement plans. These things that I'm doing right now is stuff that I didn't know that I would have the power to do until I did it. So sometimes in life, you got to jump in something and you got to swim and you got to swim and you got to swim until you get used to swimming. And that's what I'm doing. I recently saw a quote from someone that said, my role model is me in 10 years. And then in 10 years, my role model is me in another 10 years. And that you'll never reach that point because you want to keep growing and keep moving forward. Yes. Like, look, I got a grandmother who lives with me now. She's been with me since my grandfather passed away. She's 90 years old. Wow. My grandmother still has hopes and dreams. She still, the things that she used to do around the house, my grandmother still know how to wash clothes. She still clean up. This is the things that keep her, her young and useful, you know? So, when you when you stay like when you say to yourself one day, okay, I want to hang all this up. I don't want to do anything else. I promise you, you won't be able to do that because if you are a hustler and you like going out to go create things, until the day you die, you will be that person. No matter how much money and success you have, it will become a fun game to you once you become wealthy. You will want to help others. Oh, let me see if I can grow this company to two hundred million. Let me see if I can take this one to a billion dollars. It's just in you. Some people just have that in them. And it's only 1% of us in the world that have that. It's the if factor of belief that you could change the world. And you could change the world by connecting people. And a lot of people don't understand it because they'll say to like the Elon Musk of the world, the Bill Gates uh, or the Robert Smiths of the world and say, 
you guys are billionaires. You got it all. What more do you need? But they providing resources. You know what I'm saying? It's changing the world every single day. So you're never going to get tired of those things. Did you think that you would have this impact on people's lives when you first started in the gas station? Um, I, I, I always had an impact on people's lives, whether they liked it or not. I always knew that I had something special, even to people that disliked me or the jealousy came around. I always had impact on people's lives because let me tell you something. Anybody that don't get talked about or have jealous things happen to them, they're not impactful. I always been that person. So I always been impactful. So some people who grow with you sometimes can't handle that because they don't get that spark. But if they understand that we got that spark together, then you'll get it. You know, sometimes like you can look all the way back to days where, you know, you can look at uh, how you look at construction worker, right? You got a farming, you got a work crew. Everybody build the building, right? They're not saying, oh, this farming built the building. They saying, wow, that's a good construction company. You see what I'm saying? So like, we got to understand that if we work together, we'll build that building. You know what I'm saying? But we can't do it by ourselves because we want them single hand class by ourselves. And with my brand, I don't do that. In every interview, I like to highlight um, if it ain't the same people, multiple people. Like right now, you know, my day ones, John and Luke, I got Chevy, I got... Um, my president, Jesse, who helped me turn this whole thing around. Antoine, that's uh, my cousin. A lot of people, you know, say that you can't uh, be successful with family. <laughs> not always true and not always false. I was able to um, make magic happen with him. So, like, a lot of things are going good in my brand right now that I'm happy about. I got a hell of an operator, Mo. Like, these, these are the things that now I got pieces in the company that I didn't have, and I have it now. And it feels good because... I can sleep at night and know that those guys are worrying just as much as I'm worrying about keeping the train going. I mean, that's a sign of a good employee that they feel empowered to not only do things, but that they feel empowered to be a part of the business and think about it and keep themselves up at night worrying about it because they feel they are a part of the foundation. Yeah, I mean, this is important because, I mean, look at it this way. Just like you have personal problems, somebody can have a set paycheck, right? They're not going to make any more money. They get a new bill. Um, they got to figure out how can they pay for that new bill, going go to work, punch the clock, go work that same job and make that same money. I understand that because I was that person. So I like to give my people, you know, chances to get raises and opportunity. And Big Dave's right now, if you want to become a manager, show us. It's open for you. If you want to become a shift leader, show us. It's open for you. If you want to get off the register and you want to become a grill cook to make more money, show us it's open to you. So like these are the things that we have that's open. And if you want to jump in corporate, show us. We're willing to hear. You know, that's the thing. So it's companies like the Deltas of the world, the Pepsis of the world that that been around so long because of the how the, the way they treat their employees. Um, I have never I catch a Delta. Right. I get in, I get in the uh, airport, I talk to their employees, and most of the time they're saying they've been there 15, 20, 30 years. So now I look at those brands, like what did they do that I can do to get my employees to think like that? And I'm building the Delta. That's the way I look at it. Well, I heard you say you have a few day ones and you're almost 10 years old. So yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah, I'm building the Deltas. <laughs> you're building a big corporation so you know yes. you said that you have these big dreams that you want to keep building and keep moving what can we expect next uh a lot of franchising um 
My mark is to get to 100 locations by 2025. We're on wow. a very good track to do that. Um, I got another announcement coming soon uh, and another one after that, hopefully soon. You know, but things are going in a good direction. It's going in a better direction than I could dream of. I mean, my first franchise deal was 10 units, which that's unheard of. You know, people may say, let's do one to see if it works. But my brand was strong enough that uh, Derek Lewis from Pepsi, uh, he retired, uh, former president. He believed in the brand and he wanted to go full throttle. And we had a, a good relationship when we decided to do the deal. And now we're, we're about to show the world what it looks like to have a real cheesesteak in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> Oh my God, that's going to do so great because there are also a lot of Philly transplants there, East Coaster transplants yes. that go down to Florida. No, so. we're not worried about. Yeah, we, <laughs> we're not worried about anybody standing. I never, I never worried about. Humbly speaking, I never worried about another cheesesteak concept in the country because we're selling more than food. And if you can't change communities, if you can't change lives, if you can't make your employees happy and, and want to be there, you can't touch us. And a sandwich is just the, the knockout. And, a, and the egg rolls is the slam dunk. And the brand is just the, the other side of it. But what we represent is going to be hard for you to duplicate and, and, and then try to master the way we mastered it. Because it's real. It ain't no script. Well, and you're building a community of people in every city that you go to where they're taken care of and they feel they're given opportunity to grow and and also make amazing food. Yeah, we hire within. So whatever community we go in, they get hired from that community. We don't hire outside that community because we want to bring jobs to those communities. That's the most important thing you can do right now in America is bring a resource to a community that doesn't have one. And we provide that. All right. So Derek, before I let you go, is there anyone else you want to shout out? Cause you're good about doing that or anything else you want to let us know? About <laughs> I just want to shout out. I want to shout out every entrepreneur in the world right now. That's chasing. I know we're in a tough economy. Do not give up. Remember this right before you about to get to your peak of your career is always the hardest. And when you get over that hump, you're going to make it. So don't give up. Don't watch somebody else's story judging your own life is not a track meet. It's a marathon. It's all about how you end. Run your own race. That's what I was saying to who's listening to this. 